Now there arose a king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, and made their lives bitter with hard service, in mortar and brick, and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra, and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Lord, we ask that you would come and speak to us through your word in Christ's name, amen. Um, wonderful to be with you this morning. Uh, wonderful to see so many new faces. My name is uh, Dave Larley. Uh, if you've been coming for the last three months, I do have to say, I actually do work here. Um, we've just come back from the most uh, incredible time away. Thank you uh, for that. Uh, we've, we've been on a three-month sabbatical. Um, I'll just There's more to come over, over the next few weeks to fill you in on, but let me give you some statistics for those of you into statistical analysis. As a family, we hiked 60 miles together. Um, uh, most of that time, our five-year-old was on my shoulders. Uh, so that must count for more. Uh, I managed to, uh, on, on top of that, uh, I learned how to run in theory, uh, which I have proved I don't know how to run because on Thursday, a curb uh, disappeared in front of me and that's why I'm hobbling around uh, this morning. So uh, the, the effort was there. Um, and what's more is when I got home, I told Rachel I had a fall uh, and she said, you can't say that. Uh, you have to say you fell. Because uh, you, when you start saying you had a fall, that's kind of uh, is a sign that you've entered into you know an older age, uh, which is then reinforced by me making history this morning wearing Crocs while also wearing vestments because it's the only thing I can fit on my ankle. So there we are. Um, good to be back. Um, if I'm not moving so quickly, you now know why. Um, if you are new, and this is kind of the time of the year where people do check out new things, I hope you like what we've done with the place. Um, um, we, we, we love worshiping here. We're so thankful to um, Redeemer Bible Church for hosting us, and we're so thankful for our new neighbors, Highlands Christian School, um, and all the joy that that has brought. Uh, pray for our children. Some of our children are here six days a week now. They're here more than I am. Imagine. Um, 
Um, but as we come to this passage, we're going to be looking at the Exodus passage, and it'd be helpful for you just to uh, have, you know, the passage open, but also turn to the penultimate page of your bulletin, page 15, because you'll see there, um, some of you, this will not be new, some of this will be new, our vision and values. And um, our vision, it says, is to connect the people of East Dallas with God and His people so that we might behold God and become more like Him. Uh, you'll see it on our signage, we want to behold and become. And, um, and a part of that is we're really committed here at St. Bart's to not just seeing people come to believe in Jesus, but for their whole lives become increasingly aligned and shaped and surrendered to the way that he, showed, he has showed us how to live. Um, and, and that's important. Uh, especially with the passage, and the passage we're going to look at has been used uh, to, uh, to reinforce certain political campaigns. And uh, I want to make a political statement, which is that I believe that Christians, regardless of their political affiliation, ought to be able to be Christians to one another in the world. Because I kind of think that's what the New Testament tells us. All right, so I love, I'm a Canadian who lived in Europe for 10 years. Nobody asks me about my political beliefs. You're right, because nobody really wants to hear them. Um, but my belief is, is we're called to love God and love one another. And we have an opportunity in this next run-up to the election to show that. And that's what we're going to lean into and so I don't want you to hear things that I don't say, but I want you to hear what I do say, is that we're here because the world needs Jesus. We need Jesus. And I, you know, so many of us are so thrilled our kids are back to school because they need school and we needed Jesus to get through the summer until they went to school, right? So I just bear that in mind because, you know, as we look at the scriptures, we see that the narrative of scripture from Genesis to Revelation has an arc, and that arc bends towards justice, and that arc of scripture bends towards beauty, and it bends towards reconciliation, and at the heart of it is the cross, is what Jesus did. But the end of it is this promise of Jesus on his throne seeing that he's going to make all things new. And we believe that you and I have been invited to play our part in continuing the work of Jesus. And so as we turn to Exodus 1, we see a theme that emerges, and you can trace it really throughout all of Scripture, which is this contrast between two systems at play. There's an empire in this world that is based on ruling by fear, control, and exploitation. And there's a kingdom that begins to be established and is brought in by King Jesus, which is not marked by fear or exploitation, but it's marked by shalom. It's marked by peace, but more than peace, it's marked by God bringing order where there's chaos. God bringing order where there's chaos. Instead of fear, there's his presence predicated on his love that breeds peace, love, and order. And so if you look with me at your passage uh, in your bulletin, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. 
Um, it assumes that we know the story of Joseph. Joseph had a nightmare family. His, his siblings literally tried to kill him and instead sold him into slavery. What happens there? There's empire, right? He's, being, he's, he's actually sold into slavery. He is then is a victim of injustice over and over again. But God is at work and God brings order into a situation and puts him in charge of Egypt so that shalom rules in Egypt. And there's a time of excessive abundance. And obviously, the order starts to descend back in, into chaos with this new Pharaoh. And as it does, God speaks out of chaos through midwives. Any midwives here today? Nurses? Yeah, there we are. We had the most incredible midwife when Ethan was born. Her name was Noel Christmas. I know, I was like, we win. Like. <laughs> I know this might be 18 hours and we can't find the anesthesiologist, whatever they're called, to give you an epidural, but I think we're in good hands. And uh, anyway, so that was the first one. Our second midwife I prayed for from the moment that we heard that Rachel was expecting Thomas. And for nine months, I prayed that maybe we would get Christmas Noel or Noel Christmas, whatever her name was again. And then uh, some of you know the story. Uh, Rachel's labor lasted 28 minutes. And when I called the hospital and said, the baby's coming, and they said, how far apart are the contractions? Um, I said, I think a, m a minute. Uh, maybe it was two minutes at that point. The details are fuzzy on me. Rachel will tell you the real story later. Um, and uh, she said, you're not getting here. Call 911. And so uh, suddenly I was the midwife. <laughs> Rachel did all the work. <laughs> there, we, there was no doula in sight. And uh, Tom was born in our kitchen. Uh, in 28 minutes, and uh, a fractured thumb later, and uh, on my part, and, uh, and there he was. And um, so we went to the house where Thomas was born and knocked on the door. We had no idea who lived there, uh, you know, and said, hi, uh, this is my son Thomas. We used to live here. Could we look at your kitchen? <laughs> She's like, really? I said, yeah, he was born there. And so anyway, I kind of marched in without hearing the answer, and we showed Thomas the kitchen. He was like, oh. Totally underwhelmed, and so anyway, that, that part of the sabbatical didn't go as planned. And my career as a midwife ended, um, never again. Um, but here we see that God moves. God moves through people that know the story, know his story, and have found themselves in it. And that's our hope for you as you are with us here at St. Bart's. We see here the reference to a new leader is someone who didn't know Joseph, so someone who doesn't care. And we're introduced to these Hebrew midwives who really represent the people of God. And here's another theme you can see traced from Genesis to Acts, which is what do the people of God look like? Well, they are people that know how to trust God's story. They know how to be hospitable. And again, if you look in our values at the back, you'll see that one of them is hospitality. They know how to live lives of self-sacrifice rather than lives of fear and insecurity. It doesn't mean they didn't deal with fear and insecurity. They did. But because they found themselves rooted in God's story as a community, they were able to overcome fear and insecurity. They made a ton of mistakes, but they're full of determination and they're full of con commitment. They're called a stiff-necked people. You may have heard that. What's interesting is the Hebrew for, for stiff neck will also mean resilient or resistant. And they kept insisting on the truth of God's narrative. 
the truth of his story and they trust it. And so the midwives enter in because Pharaoh is terrified uh, of these sons who are being born of uh, these people and he is treating them terribly. They, in verse, 20, uh, verse 11, they, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses, but they were all, but the more they oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread ahead. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made them people, the people of Israel work as slaves. So verse 15, then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was called Shannon and the other uh, Margaret, I don't know, unpronounceable names, uh, Shipra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it's a son, you shall kill him, but if it's a daughter, they shall live. She shall live. It's hard to imagine that today. Um, but it's tyranny. It's tyranny. And he chooses to let the daughters live because he's primarily worried about what if the sons of Israel join up with a foreign army and attack. However, it's the faithfulness of some of Israel's daughters who fear God. And when we see fear, it's not that they were scared, but they had a, a deep reverence, a deep heartfelt reverence that meant that they, their belief in God's story and where they found themselves in his story, as is being written out, gave them greater confidence over what he would do than what Pharaoh would do. What's ironic is that it becomes Pharaoh's own daughter who's also one who acts to preserve the life of Moses through whom God will bring Israel out of Egypt. So we see this pattern over and over again. Chaos overcomes the people of God. And you see it in history today, over and over again. Chaos overcomes the people, overcomes situation. And the moment that that begins to happen, the people of God and God begin a work of shalom. We see a plan executed to bring perfect shalom in the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And what we see here is the midwives have this incredible encounter. So he commands, uh, he tells them to kill the sons as they're born, and they refuse to do it, and they're commended for it. And then they're, they're asked. So the king called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this? and let the male children live. And the midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, for they're vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. And you know, you can't blame Pharaoh because this is before the days of call the midwife. You know, so most of us have no idea how midwives work or what they do. Um, but anyway, um, so we have this thing going on, and these women have to make a choice. They have to choose, what will they do? Will they bow to empire, or will they follow the lead of King Jesus? Now, for you and I, it's much more subtle than that today. Will we act out of fear, or will we move out of peace? And it begs the question, 
This, uh, actually, this passage, passage begs three questions. What's the source of that shalom that God is looking to bring in places of chaos? How does God bring order into chaos, and where does that order come from? So the midwives don't do what Pharaoh asks, and the people of Israel are saved, momentarily saved, before the next plan comes. Where does that, why does God move the way he does? Well, the first answer is the source of his shalom, his peace, his love, and his order is his love. And we read in Genesis 1:31 that after God had finished create his, creating everything, he beheld it, and it was good. And that goodness isn't just like, oh, so good. You know, like in our culture today, people say, oh, that's just so good. It's a goodness that actually speaks that he saw in what he created a reflection of something of the divine, something of himself. So it's not just good, but it's also goodness and love. And if you look forward, um, we learn of Jesus that what was his motivation? Love. For he so loved the world. They didn't come into the world to judge it, but to die for it so that all could turn to him. The judgment is yet to happen. It's, it will come on the day of judgment. For now, he's in a posture of wanting his love to be poured out. So the source of his shalom is his love. And how do we know his love? How do we become anchored in his story so that we know that he's a loving God? Well, these are not new answers. You could probably think of them yourself. We sing. We sing the hymns, we sing the songs that tell the story of who he is and what he's done and what he's seeking to do today. We pray. Prayer's hard. You know, I've managed to fall asleep in every posture of prayer possible. I have. But there's a, a way to pray, not just on our own, but in community that takes us and roots us deeper into the story. That's why some of you are here from other uh, church traditions. You're spoiled for choice in Dallas for good churches. You're spoiled in East Dallas for good churches. But there's a way that we pray here that believe anchors us in the story of what God is doing. And we read the Bible. We read the, we read, we read the story. But how does he bring order into chaos? How does he do it? Was it just the midwives acting on their own? No. Genesis 1 again reveals us the hint that at the beginning, his spirit was brooding over the waters, over the chaos that was formless and without shape. And the spirit of God is what brought shape and order to the chaos. And so it was the spirit of God, it was the hand of God, the presence of God moving in the hearts of these women. And then where does that order come from? What's the agency today? Obviously, it's Jesus, right? That's the answer. But he has chosen from the beginning to work in partnership with his people. And it's his church. We read in the introduction to Acts that Acts is really the second part of Luke's gospel that tells us of what Jesus continued to do and teach the world through the church. 
And so what does it mean then for you and I to be rooted and find ourselves in his story? It means then as we are shaped by the way of Jesus, together, not as individuals, but together as a community, not only will our lives be changed and shaped, but the world around us will begin to be changed and shaped as well. The story we're invited to live in and live out is a story of renewal. It's of God giving Jesus to us as the great restorer, the great renovator of our lives, and the great renovator of the world he loves. Some of you work in construction and know that often a renovation isn't gonna do it. Renovation can't actually do what you want done. God has never taken that posture. He's always chosen to renovate and restore because he loves what he sees. And that's the truth for you and, you and me. So what does it mean to be rooted in the story? What do these midwives tell us? They tell us that there's a story here that can be trusted. And it's predicated on a God who loves us, who wants us to work out of love and not out of fear. And he invites us to move into a position of wholeness even when the world around us is conspiring against us. That's why it's significant that on whatever today is, the namesake day of the feast day of the church, there we go, St. Bartholomew, that we're baptizing five people. Because baptism is really a way of welcoming people into not just the faith, but into the family. It's a sign that you're not on your own, but that this community is going to stand and walk with you. Some of them will be children, like, you know, young. And it's a sign to the parents that they're not here to parent alone that we're in this together. So I want to finish just with these couple of questions, and we'll explore this as, the, uh, as we move into the year. But where do you find yourself in God's story? Is it a story that you can trust? What about the idea that it's all being led by someone who is loving and good? and seeks to bring his goodness to bear in our lives. What do you think of the Holy Spirit bringing order where there's chaos? What do you think of the challenge of loving people who disagree with you as a response to the fact that before you knew him, he loved you? Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we need your help. Even now, we need the gift of your presence. We need your, we need your peace. For those in our midst, Lord, who are facing chaos, maybe at work, at home, in relationships, we ask for your order, for your peace to come. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd move in our hearts. And in the right time and in the right way, in your way, would you lead us to be agents of your order on this earth that we might be known for our love for you and our love for one another.
In Christ's name we pray. Amen.